Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Hello, one and all. Welcome to Be Real, guys. Your neighborhood movie reviewing and re-reviewing podcast. I'm. Ch- Where do we get the word neighborhood from? Can we before you say who you are? Where did we get it from? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. That makes us sound like boring. I think I'm picking it up from like a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, what, like Andrew Garfield, Chocolate House Spider-Man, or like Tobey Maguire. Upside down kiss Spider-Man. I just think we're a couple of hobgoblins. Like I'm Noah Ballard. This is Chance (laughs) Solem Pfeiffer. Hi everyone. We're just we're just two guys who argue about movie stuff. Okay, that's probably true. Yeah, we pick three movies um, of a very specific, very similar genre, and um, some of them are old, some of them are classic, some of them are new, some of them are underground, some of them are independent, some of them are like mainstream big studio, and. We talk about them uh, and tell you whether or not, if you haven't seen them, or even if you have, whether or not your opinion is right, or if you haven't formed an opinion yet, <laughs> whether or not you should. That's the whole kit and caboodle. That is, that's the elevator pitch for Be Real Guys. And we rate these movies, too. That's On how, a four, that's how yeah, we solidify like a four those quad, opinions. A, a four-quad Punnett Square gradient. Um, chance. Yeah, we rate them uh, first on what we consider to be technical execution, and second, the second word, uh, relating to entertainment value and watchability. So, like, a good, good movie, Noah, would be like... Um, I'd say The Departed That's would be a good example. Right off the top of your head? Because it's, like, it's well-made, but it's also, like, kind of fun to watch. And it has it's so long, but yes. it's also... It's so good, though. So much guns and intrigue. Um, And then a good bad movie would be like something that you recognize on an intellectual level is worthwhile, but it's not something you'd want to pop on. No, an example would be like... Well, do you know what's going to be totally like the good bad movie of this year? What's that? Oh, Beasts of No Nation. What is that? (laughs) It's the guy um, who who directed all the first season of True Detective... Kerry Fukunaga? Yeah, yeah. And he like made this movie that's getting like a Netflix only release. And it's got Idris Elba as this like, you know, East African warlord oh who like trains these young God. boys. And there's it's gonna be so good, bad. Good call. Um, yeah. and then a bad good movie is uh, Oh, something you can just pop on. Uh you know, what would be a what would be a good example? Maybe like a movie that like Kurt Russell was in. Anytime about... between like 1980 and 2000. And then Bad Bad would be uh, something bad, that bad, is bad. Bad Bad is just like a, a movie you just don't want to waste your time with. Uh, any of James Franco's forays into directing. Um, you know, or like... Uh, a White Chicks, a Juana Man. A White Chicks. Really any, like, latter weigh-ins, I would say, mm-hmm. is fair to say that it's going to be. Little man, the baby's a bank robber. Forgot it's about bad, little man. bad. I think, I think everyone has. 
On to the films then, or on to the category. Let's do the category. We have watched three films about who you might call non-traditional college students. People who have stayed in college, or sort of gone back to college, or are masquerading as college students. And we've watched 2003's Old School, 2002's Van Wilder, and last year's 22 Jump Street, the sequel to the 21 Jump Street remake. Yeah, somebody was making fun of me today. They were like, 22 Jump Street, that's not that new. But then I looked it up. It's just from last year. Yeah. I guess, should we... It's a bro-y category. And, uh, oh, it's definitely male-heavy. There's no doubt about that. You mean in the sense that there's not one fully formed woman character in any of these movies? No, they all have pretty two-dimensional desires, don't they? Mm-hmm. Let me try to like think about that for a second. No. Even Van Wilder, a movie of such political sensitivity oh. that as to be like, you know, enjoyed for years to come and not dated in any way. Right. Well, we, before we get into our appraisals of these films, Chance, um, we could not exist without the generous support of uh, the esoteric daydreams of me and my colleague here. So... Who is putting us on the air today, Chance? Yeah. Let me uh, go ahead and read their spot. This week's episode of Be Real Guys is brought to you by A Call to Campus Security. Hello. Yes. Is this campus security? Well, great. I'm, I'm on the campus. Yeah, our, our college campus and that unspecific but full of those definitely California or Florida-based vistas. Yeah, that's right. The one that's not connected to a recognizable city, thus convincingly, if not overzealously demonstrating the bubble that can be campus life. That's where I am. Anyway, I'm calling out from outside of a fraternity, which is either the scourge or community saviors of campus, depending on who you talk to, and I'd like to report a myriad of indiscretions, and frankly, I think you should be more on top of this. Now stop me when you've saddled up your golf cart. Let's start with the easy stuff. First of all, people driving their own golf carts through campus for reasons I don't understand. And then several highly inappropriate requests and subsequent thefts of student records and transcripts. I see hazing of every stripe and severity, plus a freshman about to jump off a roof, but he looks like he'll survive. And a naked man running toward the quad who hasn't been apprehended after what's got to be a half mile or so. And then... This is a big one. I see a guy who looks an awful lot like Peter Stormare mixed with a disheveled, crested songbird. And he's, yeah, he's shooting people indiscriminately. But wait, there's more. Is there anything you can do about the generally misogynistic, racist, and homophobic culture of our campus? No? Well, no worries. You're just one schlubby man in a flashlight. One fight at a time, friend. I think it's great that we do this podcast just for my own mind um, is the fact that like looking at the tropes of just like this subset of the college movie genre Mm -hmm. is so like especially over like a period of time is so interesting to me it is weird yeah like just the level of humor that was like acceptable in this genre is like horrifying, especially in the two movies from the early 2000s. It's true. Let's start with old school. Okay. 
talking about the 2003, uh, you know, pretty uh, well-known, I think a comedy that's pretty well-respected, written and directed by Todd Phillips of the uh, Hangover trilogy, uh, starring uh, Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn, Will Ferrell. So I think this is essentially a movie about the 30-year-old guy, Mitch, who's played by Luke Wilson, who uh, essentially, in in a comedic scene, his steady, kind of boring relationship uh, falls apart, and he has sort of like a, whatever, dead-end corporate legal job, and... He's in real estate. Oh, okay. But is he on like a legal end of real estate? He's like looking over legal contracts and shit. I mean, I think, yeah, I think he's in like, he's like a corporate real estate guy. Right. I, I don't know. But that comes into the, that comes into play. So maybe, but let's make that known. His live-in relationship ends when his wife is having like a sort of. His girlfriend. Or uh, yeah, his girlfriend's having like an orgy rendezvous with anonymous people. And right. so he leaves and buys a house, I guess on the outskirts of... He rents. He rents another house. He rents, sorry, rents a house on the outskirts of a college campus, which thanks to his friend Vince... Near campus? It's practically on campus. <laughs> which thanks to his friend, played by Vince Vaughn, who is the million, millionaire owner of a of a store called uh, Speaker City... Um, Immediately, th- he owns what is it, three point six million dollars that the government knows about. Yeah. Immediately throws a giant party, which attracts uh, who you think is mostly college students, and bouncing off that party, they form a civilian fraternity. Well, because the dean, because of this party, the dean of the college, who has an axe to grind because he knows them from childhood, tells them the house has been rezoned for campus use. But because this guy, um, well, these guys are like, they're surprisingly good at paperwork. um, They discover that if they they house a fraternity, they can stay in this house and he doesn't have to move out again. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's basically the plot of the film. Yeah. And they open up a fraternity and the system challenges the integrity of said fraternity because it is, in fact, run by three men who have no involvement with the college (laughs) and just sort of the ragtag people they've put together. It's a civilian fraternity. Um, How many times have you seen this movie, Chance? Once a long time ago and now. Okay. A long, long time ago. I've seen this movie a lot. It was one of those movies... Uh, you know, in high school, we were just hanging out in the basement. Yeah. Not smoking pot. No. Um, we would throw it on and watch it because it's hysterical. Well, I think that's Um, a good place to jump off from because I want to derail you really quickly for a second. Is this where you got the term of endearment, big cat? Of course it is. Oh, for God's sake. Well, that's what I was going to ask you at the beginning of the pod. Is it really weird for you to like go through the movies that I love because you find like where I found all my favorite lines? Yes, it is. Because you've been calling me Big Cat with a modicum of earnestness for... We're on almost like five years now. Now, Mitch, you're on the rebound. You're like an injured young fawn who's been nursed back to health, who's finally going to be re-released into the wilderness. He's getting a little help from his friends. I want to thank you very much for coming to the official Mitch Martin Freedom Festival. Yeah, let's get into this. 
Well, first, and this is the reason I brought up the fact that I've seen this movie a lot, is I feel like when you've seen a movie, you just kind of wait for scenes to happen to entertain you. Right. But I feel like the great thing with Be Real Guys is that I get to, like, pull back a lot and, like, watch these movies with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. And so for this one, I was just amazed at, like, how, like, detailed and sort of, like, weirdly subtle, like, the setup to the movie is. For sure. So you have, like, a pretty like stereotypical like late 20s early 30s something relationship they've been together what like a year and a half they like just moved in together they adopted a dog and like he comes home he's at this convention he comes home early and he sees her doing what is initially he thinks she's just like watching porn and like masturbating or something and he's into it because it's like they're going to a new level they've hit that new level of their relationship and then suddenly it like goes too far because these two people come out of the, and well, I guess she's also cheating on him more or less. Mm-hmm. So, but I just think it's an interesting thing. Like in this character setup, the protagonist, of the film, Mitch, um, like it's super interesting to think like, why does this event like turn his life into a tailspin? And there's just something about him. Like, he can do some, like, he does some pretty bizarre and horrible things throughout this movie. Right. But he cannot, like, comprehend the idea of his girlfriend, like, needing sort of, like, a weird, kinky, like, sexual satisfaction. Well, I think that what part of what makes it so convincing is this this setup has like a real idea of adulthood and i guess you could say the the movie has its own idea of adulthood throughout like one of the things that keeps the comedy being consistently funny is that all these 30 year olds like you know they don't want to mix this luke wilson doesn't want to mix the fraternity with his work because that's sort of like the one steady thing in his life vince vince vaughn has that cute thing with a kid where he's like earmuffs when they swear and he gets really mad when luke wilson swears in front of his son even though he would just say earmuffs and the kid would plug his ears and then he would say all manner of of whatever um like, well, it's all, a movie sort of about, like, the delusions of adulthood. Yeah, it, but it has... And, like, even Will Ferrell has that, like, really sort of troubling marriage. Yeah. But it has an idea of boundaries, which I think is super important for... Right. When you're talking about, you know, all these movies are, like, either arrested development in college or going back to college, you you need an idea of what the alternative is in order to make mm-hmm. college feel special and this movie really does have an idea of what the alternative is even if it's like kind of silly and even if its idea of a fraternity is really silly well because the college trope itself is like played out Mm -hmm. they all have like a spin on it but i think and i'll get into this like what i like about this genre and what i don't like about this genre but i think you're right like what defines for me and maybe this is our overarching question for the whole genre is like how accurate or a portrayal is it of like what American college life is like? That's that's a a tough thing to judge on. I mean, I don't know. Right, but I feel like it it all each movie has a very specific set of like what rules like you were talking about right. exist in this world and they are pers- they are sort of I guess personified or hyperbolized by 
this like very rigid social construct of the university uh, secondary education. True. True. So I think that's the sort of the, the lens by which I will be reviewing the films tonight as far as successful or not. I like that this movie with its setup really, it takes, it just takes off and it, it also does it without a lot of the things that I find sort of irritating about Todd Phillips films as they go forward when he gets larger and larger budgets it takes off without montage and it takes off without like weird music cue it just kind of it establishes in a really funny way that Luke Wilson is really sad like when he's he's bored yeah and when he's really drunk at that wedding and then it kind of demands that you take it on its own terms like they throw this big initial party and when it's over Vince Vaughn kind of like wants them to go further and start this fraternity and he's like hey we've still got a lot of street cred from that party (laughs) which is just like a like what that doesn't mean anything and yet like right in the the rules of this movie like him saying we still have street cred like that's all the reason you need the rules of this world would have you believe that this is like a pretty realistic film, right? I guess. <laughs> there's like, there's no real moments and there's definitely moments in the other two where you're like, this is like, this is a movie and this is Hollywood like stuff. Like yeah. this is a cartoon. Whereas this one, like other than some like funny gymnastic CGI, there's nothing in it really that's like so out there or like gross out disgusting or like just some huge thing that's like could not you're right have really happened it's really the antithesis of the other two right big day doing what well um actually pretty nice little saturday we're uh we're gonna go to home depot yeah buy some wallpaper maybe get some flooring stuff like that maybe bed bath and beyond i don't know i don't know if we'll have enough time well that's what i think is so good about this Will Ferrell is the fact that he really makes you work up to him being ridiculous mm-hmm. and he doesn't just start out ridiculous. I mean, I feel like that good point. Mis- that is like a mistake that a lot of like later Will Ferrell performances have made was it's not interesting seeing him act like an idiot. It's interesting seeing him act like an idiot after he spends half an hour looking really sad. I think it handles the dark moments really well because of you know, in any other context, it's super dark, but the movie still plays really irreverent. Like, there's that moment where he is, what is he, uh, he's using a beer bong. He's, like, shotgunning a couple of beers. And, like, basically proving that he's a huge alcoholic. And he screams the line. Once the beer tastes his lips, (laughs) he cannot stop. (laughs) Once it hits your lips, it's so good, he says. (laughs) Which is so sad but like this movie um kind of just like is a little blustery and like moves past it and that's what it does with like all the real character driven sadness well that's like the weird thing about if you just sort of look at will ferrell's character like under the microscope this is a guy who like got into a sad boring marriage and then like it crumbled And then he's basically a mess for the rest of the film and into the film's sort of, like, epilogue. Yeah. 
there's that speech at the end where Vince Vaughn's like, I don't want to do this thing where we like prove we're a fraternity for the Dean. And Luke Wilson's like, you have to. Frank's life is ruined. <laughs> and Vince Vaughn's like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Like it's sort of like the right. movie realizing that. Well, it's sort of like my weird sort of thesis for this movie is that I think what's most entertaining about it is the fact that it operates under the impression that adults, 30-somethings to be specific, are really just, you know, early 20-somethings pretending. Yes. Yeah. And, like, left to their own devices or left to, like, these weird sort of incidental moments, they will revert to, like, well, how does a college kid think? And if I can extrapolate that a little bit, because I think that's a good point, I was thinking about, you know, all the comedies that I really like of this era are all sort of that certain way. Like, people past a certain age who can sort of, like, manipulate and articulate the rules of, like, a... Of I don't know of sexuality and manipulation and things and basically yeah. like kind of make the world and people in the world do whatever they want. Wedding Crashers is that way and like yep. the best parts of Forty Year Old Virgin where he's talking with the guys yep. at the store are that way. And it's like what's well, such a Gen X movie? Yeah, it's I mean if it had been directed by anybody else, like maybe someone a bit more literary in their ambitions. Um, it could have been like a pretty weird like indie movie about like it could have been like as weird as like welcome to me or something. Sure. You know, like some sort of like out there movie about like, you know, a 30 something grew up in the nineties fear of growing up. Yeah. Which I'm glad it didn't. Yeah. It really, it, but it really fits in with the best of two thousands comedy. I think. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it, I think a lot of movies, I mean, if you look at it, I feel like this is in the moment of the genesis of that, like Judd Apatow, let's just put five guys in a room together and see what'll happen movies. So, but I do think it's a little, it's slightly more innocent than the Apatow movies to follow. I think, even though it's a, a broy fraternity sort of movie. Well, that's the thing. I think ultimately Todd Phillips is not interested in the same sort of like suburban ennui that Judd Apatow is. I think he's knows that he's clever and, you know, wanted to shoot it like, you know, a pretty mainstream comedy. Right. All of that said, I do think that I was, I'm sort of late getting to this point. But down the stretch, in terms of the actual plotting of this movie, I yeah. think it, like, drifts pretty hard in, like, somewhere between, like, I don't know, it's, like, 50 and 75%. At a certain point, the only thing moving the movie forward is the relationship between Mitch and Nicole. And, like, that doesn't really, that relationship doesn't really make much sense and that's supposed to be sort of the thing that ultimately fulfills him see i don't think that the narrative thread really like hangs in that relationship though i think the narrative thread hangs and i think somewhat clumsily but it hangs in this like them competing to for whatever status as a fraternity Mm -hmm. which i think that is the bigger sort of fumbling of the plot 
That might be true. And maybe it's so fumbled that I th- saw this other thread as the thing that was supposed to take me from... I don't think it is. I think that's like the supporting love interest thread, but I don't necessarily think the movie hangs on that. I think we need to beg the question of all these movies. Yes. Because of the time period that we are in, what are the sexual politics? Yeah. Um... I'm a little uneasy, and this is not a spoiler. Right. I'm a little uneasy with the fact that, so Mitch gets drunk on the night of this big party, the aforementioned party, and ends up having sex with who he presumes is a college student, and he feels kind of bad about that. And then he goes to work, and this girl shows up because she's the daughter of the, uh, the, his boss. And so now he Terry feels really bad about it. Lock. Yes. Now he feels really bad about it. And then it is revealed that she is about six months away from graduating high school. Right. Making her 18, question mark? Right. And so then it's, like, really bad. But my question is, like, what does it say about this movie that it didn't just pick that, oh, she's a college student and, oh, she's the boss's daughter? Like, why did it need to go for, like, the pedophilia question mark? Right. I don't know. I think it might be that whatever instinct is, like, drawing it back into these, like, adult characters, like, relating to their whatever 30-something lives. Like, I think Todd Phillips sort of likes the idea that there is, like, something sort of, like, sad and dangerous about, like, relating to this world, you know? Right. Well, I just think it's such a task for the movie mm-hmm. to portray Mitch as a sympathetic character after 20 minutes into the movie, basically saying this guy, albeit accidentally, had sex with an underage girl. Right. But then I think if we can transition then to Van Wilder. I was so desensitized after watching Van Wilder that this movie could have had like like an erect penis in it and I probably wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> Did, do you want to rate But anyway, you want to rate old let's, school? Before we get there, let's rate old school. Okay. What do you think, bud? I don't I wish I would have done more to establish this, but I actually think that this is a bad good movie. Um and I think it's almost I think it's almost good good. But I don't think that the overall plot, which felt so fresh, like for the first 50% of the movie, so fresh even 12 years ago, that by the time it gets to Luke Wilson's love interest who arrives too late and sort of like devolving into the cliche of having to do all the challenges that the Dean Jeremy Piven lays forth, Um, which are very easily and magically overcome that, uh, by cheating. Yeah. By cheating and by physics that don't make sense. Um, that I don't know. I, I, I really found the last half to kind of droop and drift by comparison. So bad, good from me. I'm going to give it a soft, good, good. Mm -hmm. I think that almost there. Yeah, I think that it's a, I mean, production value wise, it's a well made movie. Sure. I thought, yeah, the movie does hit some sort of like, 
I mean, like the the rising. This movie like needed a plot at the end so they could wrap it up, and that's basically what it is. But I think like the episodes leading up to, like between the formation of the fraternity and when they get to like they're potentially being kicked off campus, is the most entertaining part of this movie. Um, but I've seen this movie many times, and I could watch it again. I think it's I think it's good. Good. Did you watch Van Wilder first? I watched Van Wilder first. So did I, and I really think that people deserve... It really soured me on this whole category. <laughs> people deserve to know that I found Old School so charming because I'd finished Van Wilder half an hour before. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I don't think... I like had to like cleanse my palate for a couple days before I could even watch another movie. <laughs> before you could consume watching- any kind of media. Before I could consume any sort of visual media, that uh, less yeah. Van so, Wilder or one of his heinous sidekicks so show up. So let's do this. Media. Let's okay. Let's do the setup to this movie. Uh, Van Wilder. What is this? Two thousand two. Yeah, National Lampoon. National Lampoon's Van Wilder is about um, the titular Van Wilder, portrayed by Ryan Reynolds. Yes, you about to say Ryan yeah. Adams. Yeah, I was because of that fucking song <laughs> from old school. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Anywho, um, Ryan Reynolds portraying uh, the titular Van Wilder. And he's this guy who's basically been in this school for like seven years. Coolidge. Coolidge College for about seven years. He's never graduated. And he's like friends with everybody. And everyone knows him and likes him. And he's got like these little bits he has with everybody, like riding around in his golf cart and stealing this like math professor's spot. Yeah. Um, and then he, uh, at some point, uh, his father, played by Tim Matheson from Animal House, uh-huh. which is like sort of an interesting, if not completely inappropriate, nod to that film. Right. Um, He's his father, and he figures out, like, how much this schooling is costing him for really no reward. So he tells Van Wilder that uh, he's going to cut off the tuition. So then Van Wilder has to raise his own money for the tuition payments to stay in school. Meanwhile, um, Tara Reid, in one of the most uh, excruciating performances I've ever witnessed, plays... um, this like student journalist who has been assigned by the guy from that thing you do Tom Everett Scott. to, to write the expose everyone's wanted about this mysterious fan Wilder. And then their stories sort of like intersect and ultimately sort of undo both of like what they were trying to do. This spring, Van is still in school for the better part of a decade. He'll be cut off. Dad, a place to stop payment. On this semester's check. I'm going to tip my hand, if I haven't already. No, go ahead. And say that this is one of the most offensive pieces of garbage that I have ever watched. Not just on this podcast, but I would say ever. And I'm doubly horrified by it because I've seen this movie before in, like, my adolescence. And, like, like, I remember enjoying it, which has made me look, like, deep into my own soul and like question what does anything mean i think this is a good point and a valid confession on your part because i think this is an interesting thing about this genre old school while sort of about college is made for people who have graduated college 
And Van Wilder, while about college, I think is made for the most perverse 14, 15-year-olds. Anyone who enjoys this sort of humor and this depiction of college who's in college is not in whatever our neoliberal conception of college is. Just to give you an example, and I wrote this down, Mm. in the first 10 minutes of the film, it successfully stereotypes Asians, Jews, people who are transgendered, gays, the obese, Indians, old people, and the deaf. Yep. In the first 10 minutes of this movie... National Lampoon movies are just a thing that are riding a long, gross, three-decade coattail of a few successful 80s movies. And right, the, and seven, yeah, late 70s, late 70s early, 80s, early 80s, yeah. 80s movies. And otherwise are just like, I don't know, softcore porn for like right-wing like 14-year-olds. Right. It's gross. Right. But I just think it's so interesting, like, the pedigree of this film and its release. Like, it was a mainstream movie. Like, I feel, I mean, having worked at a video store for a couple of years, like, I remember these, like, straight-to-DVD National Lampoons, like... Sure. Uh, There's a lot. The, well, the Naked Mile from Van Wilder had its own movie. Yes. And mm. this, there was a sequel to this, The Rise of Taj. I can't even believe... Okay, so another subplot of this movie is that... Um, What's that guy's name? Cal Penn. Cal Penn, like, interviews to be Van Wilder's assistant. And he's a, an Indian transfer student um, called Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. And he goes by Taj. And when he, every time he's in a room, like, and he's the focal point of the scene, there's, like, like, like uh, what do you call it? Uh, zither music playing in the background. There you go. And he has this uh, – Cal Penn ended up working for Barack Obama, like, and he's doing, like, a stereotypical, like, Indian accent. Yeah. And not a very convincing one. Well, he's Kumar from the Harold and Kumar movies. That's Right, that but should, in that one, he doesn't have, like a, like, a cheap accent in it. Right, but I mean, like, that should, I guess, let you know the yeah, yeah, yeah. level of comedy. He was also, what, in, like, the mid-seasons of House? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But, like, I was just so, like, bewildered by just, like, the politics of this movie and the sexual politics of this movie. The level of humor is so disgusting. Like, in the the bad guy in the movie is Tara Reid's... So what what ends up being the main structure of the movie is that Van Wilder, uh, instead of, like, raising money, really just wants to win over Tara Reid. And Tara Reid's, like, kind of bored with this boyfriend who's kind of an asshole... And then, like, for some reason, it makes sense in the narrative that Van Wilder makes these uh, eclairs that are filled with um, pig semen. Dog semen. Or, or dog semen. And uh, then he, or then Tara Reed causes the boyfriend to shit himself during a grad school interview. Yeah. So. It's real adolescent stuff. I almost, I almost want to just declare that this movie is bad, bad, so I can actually talk about, like, the sort of interesting things that are going on with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. I'm just so like, I I didn't remember this movie being so offensive when I was a kid. And when I also, when I suggested it, but it's like, it's particularly vile. Yeah, it really is. Um, 
But what did you think was interesting about it? So the interesting thing I think about this movie is that Van Wilder himself played, I think, somewhat charmingly by Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah, I'll give you that. The, the vile elements of this movie don't usually come from him, which I think this actually is like a big indictment, indictment, excuse me, of National Lampoon movies, is that most of like the litany of offensive jokes that you listed off, I have this written down, those, none of those are made or brought on by Van the character. They're all shoved at him by this universe. And so what you have is this like sort of underlyingly interesting and human character, I think, because ultimately like he's this guy who doesn't see himself the way that all the other people see him. Everyone else looks at him as this like super cool socialite guy. And I think he actually wants to help all these people who are less cool and socially gifted than him. Well, that's my. Well, that was my real question about his character, though. If we're really deeming to analyze the characterization of this movie, let's do it. Why doesn't he graduate? Like, I never really answered that question for me. Like, the whole question that Tara Reid has to get over to like fall in love with him is like, why hasn't he graduated all these years? And it turns out that he's only been like a semester shy. Yeah. So if he just, like, crammed for a couple exams, he could get out of there, which, spoiler alert, he does. But I'm right with you, because I think in a really unexpected way, this movie actually, of these three, of course, I'm sure we could find one that does it better, but presents the best explanation of why college is an idyllic time. Here's a guy who's been in school for seven years, and he is a hair from graduating, but doesn't leave because the rewards of this universe that he's in outside of the real world, social rewards are like the ultimate thing that you can achieve. Um, right. It's the highest currency that there is in this college world. And I think that like, that's a really sort of relatable thing when there's nothing beyond like being liked by the people who you'll come across on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I think it presents like sort of a compelling point beneath like a giant mountain of bullshit. Well, I made it a point to personally come down here, Wilder. I wanted to give you the results of your test firsthand. And just as I expected, you succeeded. 91%. What? (laughs) I'm proud of you, Wilder. I've been waiting all these years for you to realize your potential. That's why you and I had friction? God, I always thought it was because I fooled around with your daughter freshman year. (laughs) Another reason that this movie is, like, really, really bad is that... Ryan Reynolds, there is not a person in this movie who can like hang with him in any way. Right. Not a spe- and most importantly, not his nemesis, the the frat guy who is Tara right. Reid's boyfriend. Um, and so you just have an entirely like vapid, stupid movie. Um, right. But I want to see the Tom Everett Scott movie. He was so overqualified to be in this. Can I just watch? The yeah. the Tommy S movie where he like gets a New York Times fellowship and then like drinks by himself. He was great. Yeah. I love Tommy Scott. He's great. Well, I think what you're getting to and you're dancing around, and I'll just get right to it, is that like Tara Reed is not a good actress. You could argue not an actor. 
you could argue not an actor at all. <laughs> yeah. It's so bad, bad. This will be like an example for me in the future. And people will be like, isn't it, isn't it bad, good? I'm like, no. It's horrible. This is a horrible movie. Do, if you've never seen this movie, Do not don't. watch it. Do not watch it. You are a worse person on the other side. And if you watch this movie as a kid and you remember liking it, don't watch it again. Enjoy that memory, but it'll be ruined and you'll also hate yourself. Yeah. I'm glad you're saying this because I will admit that I was mad at you for asking me to watch this, but your contrition now um, absolves you in my mind. Thank you. So shall we get into... um, 22 Jump Street Chance, the sequel to the 21 Jump Street, which was a spinoff of the original 21 Jump Street television series? I guess we should. I guess we should. All right. So this is last year, 2014. Yes. Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum. It's an undercover unit called the Jump Street Unit that infiltrates, in the first one, infiltrates... A high school with uh, John Hill and Channing Tatum as the as the undercover cops to find a drug dealer, and this movie, in a very self-aware way, sends them to college because that's the next the next logical step. Right. And they need to find the dealers and suppliers of a drug called Wi-Fi. <laughs> yep. That uh, is sort of like is. Well, they say it's Adderall meets ecstasy. It's like four hours of study focus and then four hours of um, party tripping. So, yeah, I mean, how is that? Is there more? That's great. And I mean, it's got basically the same plot almost beat for beat with the first movie. And it knows it. And it drives that in intensely. And it does, which um, it works at moments and doesn't at others. Now, when Um, you say plot... Right. What do you mean? I mean the events that unfold that lead these characters to fulfill their desires. Now, when you say beats, are you sure those exist? Um, so basically this movie opens with uh, a drug bust gone wrong. And because the drug deal goes wrong, they decide that these two guys, these two cops, played by Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, are best suited for the original trappings of the first movie, which was to embed them into like a student body and have them sort of fit in and figure out what's going on in this other case. And in the, they get this case, uh, this girl has died and which happened with the, uh, the first movie too, but it was a boy. Um, uh, Even you saying that gives the in narrative movements of this movie, a lot of credit Rather, I think the inciting moments of this movie are explained from a completely exterior position where it's just trying to justify the existence of this movie to the point where their commanding officer, Nick Offerman, says, no one gave a shit about the Jump Street reboot. Let's just do this again. Right. Like, I Um, I think there is... But that's funny because that's what it is. Oh, oh, you're there. when it gets <laughs> when it gets over the fact that like it needs to explain i mean that's the I don't thing think it does. they got these same no they got these same people together on both sides of the camera to just make another movie with more money and they admit that and that once they get past that they don't admitting that is this movie i don't think there's anything past that 
see, I feel like it hit a moment. I mean, it hits a moment when you figure out who the actual dealer is that I think is entertaining because you've sort of sat through these amusing gags. But I think they do, the fact that they do repeat them and outdo themselves from the previous time is funny. What's up, dog? We're back. We Ladies, nobody cared about the Jump Street reboot, but you got lucky. We so now this department has invested a lot of money to make sure Jump Street keeps going. The only problem is the Koreans bought the church back, so we're moving you across the road to 22 Jump Street. You two sons of bitches are going to college. I don't think the fact that this movie is aware of itself is a replacement for an actual movie. I think that this is a two-hour version of, like, Adam Scott making those greatest events in television history things for Adult Swim. I thought this movie was pretty, pretty entertaining, and the fact that it outdid itself, I felt like... And it was a, it was a fairly favorably reviewed film, too, Chance. I'm aware. I'm going to have to say that I'm firmly in the camp who believes that the fact of like how tongue in cheek it is that it knows that it's a sequel to a movie that knew already that it was a spinoff of a dumb TV show is funny okay. and is a funny conceit and is a funny awareness to have. And the fact that otherwise technically it's like a well-made film with enough of a plot, which they have discovered to keep us entertained while also making fun of it, but also having like, a bit of a heart to it. Because, I mean, in the, in the first one and the second one, I felt like, well, just giving these... I, I just think, and that sort of plays into the genre here, is, like, what would you do differently if you could have a shot to go back to high school being the first one and then go back to college being... Or even try college, because uh, Channing Tatum had never been there. Right. But, like, knowing what you know now, what would you do? And I think, it, like, the heart and the emotional weight of this movie is kind of in the sadness that like Channing Tatum realizes that, you know, he just wanted to be someone that people cheered for. And like, that was what, and he finally figures that out. Whereas in the first movie, Jonah Hill had figured out, you know, he just wants to like, his aesthetic is now like is cool. And his like worldview is cool. And the fact that he wants to like discuss topics and stuff is cool. And I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's a dumb need and it's a dumb desire, but I felt like it was enough to like keep me entertained. And I feel like this movie, you can get rid of the plot. You can get rid of like its self-awareness. The movie hangs in the fact that like Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum have an incredible chemistry. They do. They do. But I don't, it's weird. I think that the best moments of this movie by far are when I think Jonah Hill specifically is allowed to just sort of like freelance and just improv. Um, he's, he's got that, he's got that scene or at least feel like it's improv. He's got that one where uh, he finds out that the, the college student he has a relationship with is ice cube, his commanding officer's daughter. And they're like at parents day. And he opens the scene by saying, do you, uh, do you like weather? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is great. Like there's 
I think there's some like he has some really good moments, but I also think that this movie directed by Philip Lord and Christopher Miller is directed in such a way and wrenched around in such a sketchy way that I don't think I don't think I'm really like allowed. I felt disallowed from enjoying any sort of like naturalistic moment with these characters. I felt forced to I felt forced into the jokes almost like I was Uh just like, there's only one way to take this self-referential thing and like, and you shall feel it now. And the camera shall turn to Peter Stormare. Like I was excited to see Peter Stormare, like for God's sake, Minority Report, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Fargo's Peter Stormare. And yet like I was never allowed to like watch him like do his thing. This movie was. Wait, who is he in Minority Report? The uh, eyeballs in the fridge guy. Oh yeah, with the the moldy sandwich. Mm-hmm. Ah, keep going. Yeah, but I was never actually. This movie had no concept of like, I th- I think honestly because it didn't have a plot or a setup or it, I think more so it didn't under it when it did away with any semblance of a setup. It like doesn't understand what we like about setups, um, and so I was just like like forced into like spoofy action sequence after spoofy action sequence for like two hours and that's exhausting when it it starts over at 50 minutes like the when it like moves on to the actual as you mentioned earlier like the actual supplier of wi-fi on the campus like that is the movie like hitting the reset button on itself right and that are you talking about the spring break sequence yeah and that's not yeah that's not i don't know yeah, interesting. Not a good way to write. I don't know. I mean, like, it is beat for beat the first movie. And I feel like, I mean, in, I think, but mostly good ways. why do that? I mean, I think it's it's just funny because, like, it works. And they know that it works. And it's just a well-done version of something that works. And, like, that's funny in and of itself. Like, the fact that, I mean, it's scene for scene, like, the first movie. Like, you have hey, Jonah Hill has to prove his worth to a girl through, like, embarrassing himself in a public situation. Like, he either sings that Peter Pan song in the first one or he does the uh, the uh, the poetry slam in the, uh, the second one. I mean, these are just, like, the same scenes. I think, I wonder if this is a taste thing because I also feel like this is sort of the argument we had about Jurassic what? World. Is right. that, like... I don't think the fact that a movie is intellectually aware of itself is an excuse for like making a movie based off of that. And I found that to be all that this movie did. And I think to, to get at our category and sort of how like, um, you know, sort of the, the um, gender and racial politics that these movies sort of struggle with, this movie is like aware of those things. Oh, it, need, it definitely like knows what it's politics or excuse me they definitely definitely knows what sort what its politics are like, it, like especially in that scene where they're in the library mm-hmm. and they're doing they're basically they're doing again that same bit from the first one where one's blowing the other one or pretending to mm-hmm. and the henchman uh uses a derogatory term for uh a person of uh homosexual orientation and he says, what is, you know, Channing Tatum says, what did you just say to me? And he says it again. And he says, you can't use that word. It's 2015, man. And explains, like, the words that he can refer to a gay person with. 
And I just thought that was so like, I thought that was funny that the movie knew that it needed to do that, especially after it got away with a lot of like homophobic humor in the first one. But I think, I just think that that awareness is so much less than half the battle for like actually like making like something that resembles like an inclusive sort of comedy. And so like, it it just doesn't land. Cause like, I know it, like many people who are, you know, like who's, (laughs) I don't know, who behave poorly in the world in terms of like gender and racial politics know what political correctness is like congratulations i'm i know that you, right. i know that you understand um and i'm not saying but I'm that's not, not something that like usually happens in this type of movie i know but like i just don't find the fact that it's awareness popped up to be like that cool and i think that it did think it was really cool i think you're thinking about this movie in like too i don't know too literary a way I mean, this is a commercial comedy, and I think, like, what's good about it is that, like, it's an intelligent way to do something, like, very, very tired, you know, like, identity-obscured person planted into situation that they don't belong has to find drug dealer. Like, okay. Okay. I don't know, man. I really didn't like this movie. What do you... You really didn't like it. You're going to give it a bad bad, aren't you? I'm going to give it a bad bad, yes. See, I think this movie is the definition of bad good. And I knew you would say that because it's like Tropic Thunder. It like has its moments, but I think times 100. I think it's Tropic Thunder times 100, and by when you multiply it by 100, it becomes not bad good, but bad bad. See, I don't agree with you. I don't agree that it's so... See, I felt like Tropic Thunder was closer to bad, bad for me than this one was. Because I felt like that one was so much more ridiculous, whereas this one was just like a buddy cop movie that like knew what it was doing, but not like in like a Leslie Nielsen naked gun way, but like in a sort of your own mind parody kind of way. Around about the drug, find out who the dealer is. If you don't have to do this, man, I just don't want you getting hurt. I'm not gonna get hurt. What's pretty interesting because like Van Wilder is so fucking offensive and then 22 Jump Street goes out of its way to like go around these sort of like offensive college tropes um, that it's like at the other end of the spectrum and then old school, which was made what right around Van Wilder a year after is is like right in the middle of the two, I would say. So I think that's interesting that, you know, the, the politics of uh, Van Wilder were just despicable regardless of this, when it was released. Right. But, like, old school sort of had, like, a wisdom. I mean, it's somewhat dated. Well, it's the thing that, like, I think old school relies on the fact that it's 30-something characters need it to find college attractive. And because it's adult men yeah. struggling in their relationships with adult women, part of what that has to be in this movie is like younger women who like don't care or don't know. Like I think it it needs college naivete in order to exploit college naivete. Well, all they're looking for is that scene of Vince Vaughn with the girl on the futon. Yes, exactly. 
Or he's like, well, I'm married and I can't do this, but why don't you leave me your number just in case something happens to my wife? Yeah. And I... Th- like, that's that's the scene that all of them are looking that's for. That's it, yeah. And I think that was a good scene because it, like, it sort of, like, established what world this movie had, like, a foot in. And I think 22 Jump Street was, like, really... And I found it tedious, but I... Regardless, I think it's centered so much on the, like, bromance, like turned really like grating romantic relationship between John Hill and Channing Tatum that like yeah. college didn't really matter that much to them. They were just sort of discovering right. themselves in this sort of belated way regardless. Let me ask you this, which would be the college you would want to attend? Mm, interesting. Um, I think it's gotta be the old school college. Cause I would have loved to, have found weird older people outside, outside of the school to hang out with. See, I feel like it's funny because all the colleges sort of portrayed here are not good schools, except for the Van Wilder School. Coolidge. So I'm going to have to go with the Van Wilder School, in fact. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the only decent, like, place you could get an education of these of these three universities like one of them like clearly will like i mean if one of them will allow a fraternity comprised of mostly non-college members yet somehow be on campus um and the other one you could implant two 30 something year olds who are pretending to be 19 and one of them could end up like competing (laughs) athletically like, that just doesn't seem like a place I'd want to go. School spirit, motherfucker. Alpha step, omega step, kappa step, sigma step, gangsters walk, pimps gon' talk. Well, buddy. This has been such a pleasure. Indeed. I'm glad that we got to talk about... It's good to throw, like, a bunch of weird movies together and have a an hour change minute conversation about them our third evergreen in a row i like it i do do people like the evergreen do you think who's to say not us uh (laughs) (laughs) the people need to say by getting at us at be real guys on twitter and be real guys at gmail.com you should tell us and we're gonna get back into the theater soon some uh dude some black mass some martians some macbeth some steve jobs there's a lot coming down the pipe for chance uh i'm noah yeah if you what is it you can't kill the evil demon without stabbing (laughs) the boy can't kill the demon without stabbing the good boy and you're building a birdhouse, I presume. And I'm building a goddamn birdhouse. Good night, everybody. And I started my own business. They say, oh, you graduated. No, I decided I was finished. Chasing y'all dreams and what you got planned.